0: Part of this lesson is how to die, how to die biblically, how to die unbiblically, how to die late in life, and how to cut your race short. So that's the heart of this message. In writing a doctrine on death or studying the doctrine of death, it's more than just hold your breath and let's not talk about it because we may draw it closer to us. Pastor John and I were talking about that even in Africa, people are afraid to talk about death as though it might draw it closer and faster to you. That is pagan superstition. It runs through word of faith people. It runs through the bush of Africa. Why are we afraid of death? He is the God of the living and the dead. He quickens the living. He quickens the dead. And we all have an appointment with death. So we might as well prepare for it and make the most of it. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. That means you know you don't have much time left. Because even if you have 60 years left, what is 60 years So what the devil does is he tells us to be afraid of it and not to even look for it. That way we waste our life and have nothing to show when death does come for us. So let's look at our lesson, how to die. As we have previously seen, it is appointed unto man once to die. There is no reincarnation. You're dead, and once you're dead, your body's dead, that's it. Even if you're raised from the dead three and four times, you're still going to die at some point and never come back in the same body. Though our inner man can live forever through the eternal life of Jesus Christ, our bodies cannot. And if you understand how wicked and limited your flesh is, you will not be afraid of death because you know that death is a promotion. Uh, There's a famous quote from the days of martyrdom when two men were about to be martyred for Christ. They were about to be burned at the stake. And one was blind and the other was crippled in his legs. And as they were about to be burned at the stake, the one brother in Christ said to the other, Cur- Encourage yourself, brother. Soon this fire will cure us. That's a way of thinking about it. We will soon die. This body will be killed, and that will be our cure. We'll have sight and we'll walk again. Each of us has been given an assignment and purpose in life, but we only have so many years to accomplish it before our time expires. And I'm very convinced. Most Christians will never finish their race. Most Christians don't even know they have one to run. Those that do never found it. Those that found it very rarely do everything that's necessary to finish that race. They have their excuses. They have their distractions. They have their hurt, their unforgiveness, their bitterness. Most Christians will never finish their race. Their time will expire, and they will be disqualified, not from heaven, but from the rewards that should have been theirs for eternity. The Bible offers us many ways to extend our biological life and conversely reveals numerous ways in which we can also cut our life short. As one preacher once said, you can't live wrong and die right. And I'm going to keep saying that. I like that quote a lot. You cannot live wrong and die right. We believe and we're thankful for deathbed conversions, but a deathbed conversion doesn't mean you have any rewards in heaven. Thank God you make heaven. And the Old Testament talks about robes of uh, righteousness and gowns of salvation. And there's a big difference between being saved and being righteous and having a gown versus having this regal robe. We want to make sure we finish our race. So shortening your life. Let's look at this. We're going to breeze through this quickly because I want to slow down and talk about the biblical way to die because you should all aim to die biblically since you're all going to die. Just not today. Ignorance and culture produce baseless maxims like, you never know when it's your time to go. I hate that one. You just never know when it's your time to go. I heard a preacher friend say that this past week. I thought it was my time to go. What you were talking about was an accident. That's not your time to go. That's why angels exist, to make sure accidents don't take you out. The other one is, well, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And there's always that, but we don't know when that is. This is so ignorant and unbiblical. It's redneck, it's poor, it's superstitious, and it's not rooted in the Word of God. God promises long life to those who faithfully serve Him without the unknown time to go. By the time we're done with this lesson, you're going to see that biblically, if you'll serve God, you'll know when you're going to pass away. And you can do the Bible in preparation for that. You don't have to be afraid of death superstition in every culture is superstitious to some degree superstition and a lack of bible knowledge produces a fear of death but jesus said if you believe in me you will live forever so why are we afraid of any of this the bible tells us that there are sure ways to shorten your life these will certainly hasten your quote time to go (laughs) so i have a bunch of them we're just going to read them quickly running with greedy people will rob you of life Proverbs chapter 1. So don't run with greedy people, greedy of money, greedy of gain. Don't run with greedy preachers. I'm honored that I don't do that, and they're not drawn to me. Reject wisdom. The Proverb says several times, reject wisdom. He that sinneth against me, that which is wisdom, wrongs his own soul, and they that hate me love death. You just hate wisdom, you'll embrace death quicker. Uh, a lot of Christians, when they begin to do stupid things, they withdraw from sources of wisdom and all, their life is always cut short. Fools die for want of wisdom, Proverbs ten twenty one. A lot of verses tell us that when you reject wisdom or you hate wisdom, that you'll cut your life short. Um, a few years ago, I ran into two friends of mine, and they were preparing to go Mountaineer and summit Mount Rainier in Seattle, Washington, where I grew up, and I spent a lot of time in high school playing on Mount Rainier. One of my school teachers was killed on Mount Rainier. So I know all the ins and outs of Mount Rainier. I've never summited it, but I know the culture. So we're working out over here at Tech, and two of my friends show up, and they have backpacks on and boots. And I said, what are you doing? They said, we're training. We're going to go summit Rainier. And I said, you guys need to be careful. Don't be fools. I said, when are you going? I think they said July. I said, you need to know that Mount Rainier makes its own weather. And it can be a clear day when you set out out on Camp Mirror at 10,000 feet. And by the time you hit the summit, you can be in a snowstorm. You guys need to be careful. You need to be careful. You need to really know what you're doing. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. I lost track of them. Come to find out, everything I said happened to them. They, only, they almost died on Rainier. And they got to the summit. A snowstorm came up. Whiteout conditions. They lost their packs because they dropped them to run around the summit volcano. There's a there's a caldera at the top, and it's a tradition that when you get up there, you run the mile around it. Whiteout conditions. They dropped their packs. They couldn't find it. They ended up having to bivouac or dig in on the base on the side of Mount Rainier for three days before they could be rescued. And the one guy he suffered severe frostbite. The other friend, my friend, he suffered frostbite and still doesn't have his fingertips. Um, With feeling in them last I talked to him. Those guys rejected wisdom. Everything I told them could happen to them happened to them, and they didn't regard it. Fools die for want of wisdom. If it weren't for people praying and them being Christians and word getting out quickly, that they're actually, when they were rescued uh, by the park service or whoever, it says, we thought you would be dead. We expected to find corpses. There's no reason you should be alive. Fools die for want of wisdom. Chasing dirty women or whorish people. It doesn't just have to be women. It could be a woman chasing a whorish man. Her house inclines unto death, her paths unto the dead. A lot of verses about chasing sexually perverted people. Wickedness cuts your life short. All you have to do is be a sexual deviant and be wicked, and you are sure to die early. How many diseases are out there that just ravage the human body? Remember, Corinthians says, when you fornicate, you sin against your own body. STDs are a special curse for sexual deviance. And that's why it's just best to obey God and keep yourself pure until your wedding night. The wicked shall be cut off from the earth. Notice there's a Bible promise. Wicked people are cut off. Transgressors will be rooted out of it. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Notice that the years of wicked people, even Christians, are shortened. I'm not going to be wicked. I don't have to worry about, I don't know when my time to go is. You just never know. I'm not wicked. I don't have to have a shortened life. I'm righteous. I live for God. I do my best. When I'm wrong, I repent. Not perfect, but I am righteous. You don't have to worry about an unknown death date. Now, God said long life. When I'm fully satisfied. I'm not satisfied yet. The wages of sin is death, and it still is. So all you have to do is live sinful, and you are guaranteed to die early. Guaranteed. Especially if you're raised in the house of God. Reject instruction. He shall die without instruction, which, interesting in the Hebrew, means self control. How many folks have died because they lack self control? They overdosed. They couldn't control their opioid addiction, which addiction you can't control anyway. They died of obesity. Obesity is the number one killer now, and all the diseases that are linked to obesity. Cancer is now linked to obesity, heart disease, diabetes. Every major killer except for lung cancer is tied to obesity now, and obesity is a result of a lack of self-control. You can't medicate yourself with food, and you can't fix your problems with food, so get some self-control. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Wicked speech. He that keeps his mouth keeps his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I'm still trying to help some of you older folks. You have to watch what you say. You can't go around saying, this just kills me. That just slays me. That tickled me to death. Those aren't just figures of speech. That is life and death seeping out of your mouth, and you have to put a guard on your mouth to to stop saying foolish things like, that just kills me. That, that, that scared me to death. People do have heart attacks because of fear, and they are scared to death. Why would you even confess such a thing? Control your mouth. Strife, unforgiveness, hostility, and disunity toward the body of Christ. This is one of the big killers of Christians. If you walk in unforgiveness towards someone in the body of Christ, if you sow discord or strife, that will bring death. There was a famous preacher about 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, he got to famously speaking against uh, Kenneth Hagen. He disagreed with Kenneth Hagen on a doctrinal point that was really if he agreed with Kenneth Hagen, on this doctrinal point, it would have really diminished this one man's ministry. Kenneth Hagen was right. this man was wrong, and he was going around talking ill of Kenneth Hagen. And the man was in California. He's a pastor, he's a preacher very successful ministry by the world's standard, maybe not by God's standard, and he was in a head-on collision. And his, he went out of his windshield into the windshield of the next car, and they said, when they retrieved it, he was alive, he was saved, he was saying, Father, forgive me, I will stop speaking against Brother Hagen." Father, forgive me, I will stop speaking against Brother Hagen. He knew exactly why that was happening to him. Just gossip, just slander, just be in unforgiveness. Just hold a little bit of bitterness and resentment. Watch what it does to deteriorate your life. First Corinthians 11 in the New Living Translation says, for if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is the body, the members in particular. We are members of his body. If you try to fellowship with Jesus without being able to have fellowship with one another, He says, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. I like this translation because it puts it a lot more direct. When you try to have fellowship with Jesus and you're willfully and knowingly out of fellowship against someone in the body, you're going to bring the judgment of God to your life. And Paul said, that is why many of you in the Corinthian church and in the American church, that is why many of you are weak and sick and have even died. Think about that. He's saying born again spirit-filled Christians in the Corinthian church. Many of you are dead because you won't fellowship with one another. You don't have unity. You have unforgiveness. You have bitterness. You slander. You gossip. You, you have this little hurt feeling against your pastor or against your pastor's wife or against the sound guy or whatever your lame thing is. It's time to grow up. Grow up or go home. This teaching on death that I've been doing, I'm excited to do the next funeral. Who's it going to be? Who am I burying next? I guarantee you I'll bury somebody next year. I seem to bury at least one or two people a year. That's why I'm glad these young couples are having babies. We have to replenish. <laughs> Amen. So let's look at how to lengthen your life now. Thankfully... After all of that, we have many promises and instructions on how to lengthen our days. That's what I want. You can have what you want. I want length of life. All the promises of God are yes and amen, even the bad ones. Everything we just read is a Bible promise. I want the positive ones, the ones of life and godliness. God is the God of life, and he wants to satisfy us with long life. So how do we get longer life? Well, obey wisdom. Whosoever hearkeneth to me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of of evil. For whosoever findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. When you obey wisdom, you find life. Enough of all this foolishness, this hyper being led by the Holy Ghost. Well, I wasn't led. Well, I felt led. In this church 15 years ago, we pioneered being led by the Holy Ghost into bars. So I don't trust all of your ability to be led by the Holy Ghost. Wisdom is the principal thing, not being led by the Holy Ghost. Wisdom and thy word is wisdom. The instructions of God are the word of wisdom, the spirit of wisdom. So don't tell me you're led by the Holy Spirit when your life bulldozes through the wisdom buttresses that God surrounds you with. Wisdom sitteth in the chief places crying out. Wisdom cries out way more than the Holy Ghost ever does. Discretion shall preserve thee. So having some discretion, some prudence, walking slowly and not running quickly. Discretion preserves thee. That will give you length of life. Righteous living. We know this. He Protects those who are faithful to him. Notice righteous living is also faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Dependability, faithful in all the things you know to do. Faithfulness includes being on time. Faithfulness includes not being a church skipper. You can't come to church once a week and be counted faithful to God. Sunday morning only Christians are not faithful to God. They're faithful only to Sunday morning because the rest of the week they serve themselves. Amen. Righteousness delivereth from death. You don't get any more plain than that. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. So we want to live godly. Righteous people go to church. They read their Bible. They pray. Keep the commandments from the heart. I like this proverb. My son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Keeping the commandments of God from the heart, not legalistically, not religiously, not just in your mind, not like a Pharisee, but if you'll keep them length of days, long life. Long life is life as long as you want to live it. To me, 55 is not long. To me, 65 is not long. 70, eh, getting into your 80s and 90s. I think you get into your 90s, you're like, all right, I think I'm I'm had my fill here. I think I've had my fill. Depart from evil. Depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. If you'll just get rid of sin, your life will instantly become better. Get rid of sinful people in your life, even children. Your life will just automatically go better. Having sinful people around you and having open sin in your life constantly drains the life that God's trying to put in you. You have to be willfully stupid to run with sinful people and to keep sin in your life. When you've served God, you know when you're willfully rebellious. You're just miserable constantly. It's a built-in dummy button. You start to get sinful, you're miserable. Your joy seeps out your feet. Your peace seeps out. You're just a walking zombie, and yet doubtless you rise again to go be foolish. And the people that live that way around you, they'll have the same effect on you. Depart from evil. Wisdom and understanding. Length of days is in her right hand. I like that. All these verses seem to say length of days. Attend to the word of God. My words are life, life, life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Just studying any scripture. Just read the genealogies. It's life. Read the judgments of Deuteronomy 28. It's life and its length of days. Keep God's commandments and live. Keep my commandments and live. And my laws as the apple of thine eye. That means, as the apple of your eye, means it's the most important thing to you. We have that expression, she's the apple of my eye. That's actually a biblical term. Before, it was just a swangin' on that old country song. It was a biblical term where God said, I will keep you as the apple of my eye. God said, if my commandments are the apple of your eye, you will live a long life. When I first met Pastor Jean on the airplane several years ago, one of the things he said that I wrote down was, you never fear what is second place in your life. And for most Christians, that's the commandments of God. That's the house of God. Sunday morning only Christians don't fear God. The commandments are not the apple of their eye. Their life is the apple of their eye, and you can't seek to save your life and save it. You've got to lose your life for Jesus so you can save your life. This is basic Christianity. Righteous labor, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. You can keep instruction. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. Notice that. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. All you have to do is say, Lord, thank you. May I have another. I had to get on to somebody yesterday because they dropped the ball on me and I shamed them in a text. That's discipline. And they said, thank you, sir, for the correction. Please forgive me. I thought, now that's who I can deal with right there. I can work with that person. That person is on their pathway to life. Their life will only keep getting better. But those who ignore correction will go astray. You're awfully quiet. These are how to lengthen your life unless you're finding yourself on the bad side of these verses too. If you hadn't noticed, the anointing on this church is to change a region. So no matter what I teach, it's going to all come out the same because my calling is to change a region when nobody else for 200 years has endeavored to do so. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't had good gospel ministers, but there's one, there's one thing to be just a small pastor just caring for a flock, maintaining a flock. It's another thing to say this region needs a serious change. And you are who God has given me to affect this region, so I'm going to fix you first. And sometimes you guys come in here and you smell more like Cookville than you do Jesus. So I have to hose you off to get you more like Jesus. And you sit there, licking your wounds, feeling beat up. Uh, Mr. Darrell was sharing something with me from the Word of God. He said he could see from the Scriptures that those that know to do right but don't do right, to them it becomes sin. So you know what to do because I teach you right week after week after week. And because you don't do it, you live in sin. Not, not fornication, not homosexuality, not drugs, just laziness. And to you, laziness becomes sin and you live under condemnation and sin, and shame because you know you don't do what God has told you to do. So when will your replacement come? Because it is coming. Because your laziness is training your replacement. I've taught you that for a decade Your laziness has prepared your replacement. What do they look like? What's their name? Will you be able to walk in forgiveness when they take your place in the kingdom? These are good questions to ask. Let us move along here. Everything's been so positive on these death lessons until today, but I also feel like we're getting closer to the judgment and pruning that I can perceive God is bringing to our ministry for the day that we live in. Keep righteous labor. Keep instruction. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. See these verses. They talk about longer life or shorter life. Nobody was buried early who feared God and did the word like they were taught. Receive correction from God. You will go to the grave at a ripe old age like a sheaf of grain harvested at the proper time. Verse That's verse 27. Verse 17 tells you because you have feared God and honored him, this is the final promise. You will go to the grave at a ripe old age. You won't fear war, you won't fear ha- uh, privation or, or, or destitution. You will go to the grave at a ripe old age, because you fear God. And like Pastor Jean taught me four or five years ago, you don't fear what is second place in your life. Sunday morning, only Christians don't have God as first place in their life. Therefore they suffer. And they'll look every place else to find peace and contentment and happiness, but it's not found in this Cookful region or in this world. It's found in the kingdom of God. Love and trust God. With long life will I satisfy Him. Long life. This is one of my favorite verses we pray in my home. With long life will I satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. What is the condition of the 91st Psalm? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Then right before this verse it says because He has trusted in me. That is the only way you can maintain that Psalm 91 promises. You can pray them all day long, but if you don't dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty and trust in Him, you don't get the promise of long life. You may get buried early. So let's look now at the biblical way to die, because you're all going to die, just not today. (laughs) And I don't want you to be afraid about death. I'm going to die one day, and my household will be in order And my wife, if she outlives me, she will continue on. And my children will outlive me. My grandchildren will outlive me. And I'm not even worried about the rapture. We cannot let the rapture be our escape button. Because every generation since Peter thought they would see the rapture. And none has so far. As planet Earth and humanity continue to deteriorate under the oppressive weight of the curse and sin, mankind has found new and horrific ways to die. These new means of death and departure are not our examples to follow. Amen? We don't look to the pagan to see how to leave planet Earth. We don't look to the homosexual to see how to leave planet Earth. We don't look to the cigarette smoker to see how to leave planet Earth. They will offer you bizarre, perverse ways to leave this Earth. Those are not for us. We're the righteous. At least we're supposed to be our example for death is found in the Word just like our example for life is found in the Word and if we're gonna live according to the Bible we should fight, figure out how to die according to the Bible Why has this never occurred to anybody if God is a God of the living and the dead if he quickens the dead and if death is an experience promised to all mankind if we have an appointment and there is a time to die we ought to figure out the best biblical way to die and then we aim for that why would you not aim for that or is you superstitious? and It's like, if I close my eyes, it can't see me. If I close my eyes, death can't see me. If I don't acknowledge it, it won't come from me. It's coming for you. It knows your name. It knows your address. You can't escape it. You're already dying today. You have less days left than you did yesterday. Amen. We as Christians look to the Bible for our examples and life patterns. Amen. Giving up the ghost. Quote, giving up the ghost, unquote, is an expression that refers to the purposed and intentional release of one's spirit. Giving up the ghost is a King James term. It, it has to do with the word pneuma in the Greek, which is spirit or breath, translated ghost in the, the 500 year old version of the King James. Modern translations call this releasing the spirit. So you release your spirit by releasing the spirit the natural body must then die even as James says for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead consider how each patriarch died they all died by releasing their spirit so Abraham then Abraham gave up the ghost and died notice what he did first he released his spirit that's a spiritual thing and then what happened to his physical body then his body died Cancer didn't kill his body. Alzheimer's didn't kill his body. Uh, Cerebral palsy didn't kill his body. Uh, War didn't kill his body. He gave up the ghost. Then he died. Speaking about his biology. Giving up the ghost is his spirit being. Death then took his biology. And he died in a good old age. An old man. Full of years. Having lived a long and satisfying life. You see that? A long and satisfying life. Long is satisfying. Having lived a long and satisfying life and was gathered to his people. Uh, the Amplified says being fully satiated. Fully satiated, uh, that word satiation or sated. Uh, these are big English words we don't use in America so much because we uh, type everything with our thumbs. Satiation means you've eaten so much, if you took one more bite, you would vomit. You're bust. You just say, no more, please. That's when Abraham died, when he had so much more life. He said, I'm done. I don't want any more. I don't want to see any more. I don't care about another sunrise. I don't care about another sunset. And he didn't see this in, say this in depression. He said this having run his race. Abraham, the father of our faith, died by giving up the ghost, not by sickness or tragedy. Notice the scriptures say he gave up the ghost and died. Releasing his spirit preceded the death of his body, not vice versa. I'm going to read that again. Releasing his spirit preceded the death of his body, not vice versa. If you were to be decapitated, your spirit would have to instantly leave your body. If cancer shuts down all your systems, your spirit has to leave your body. This is not the pattern here. He released his spirit, and the body had to collapse. He died when he was fully satisfied and done. He released his spirit after he had had enough of this life and had finished his race. We're beginning to build a pattern on how to biblically die. As, De- as David said, teach us to number our days that we might apply our heart unto wisdom. If you knew you only had so many years, you would live them differently. And I want you to know you only have so many more years. So you ought to live a lot more focused and set your faith on how you're going to die. Genesis 35, 29 says of Isaac. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died. Same pattern. He gave up the spirit. He released his spirit and then his biology died. And he was gathered unto his people being old and full of days. New Living Translation says at a ripe old age. Are you ripe yet? You're not supposed to fall from the vine till you're ripe. Which means you're supposed to be developing until you're dead. Too much in America, Pastor, Christians, their Christian walk comes down after they retire just like their career does. But the Bible teaches us that we just keep ripening and ripening and ripening until the perfect day when we're plucked for eternity. Too many Christians are plucked before they're ripe because they weren't ever really intending to be ripe anyway. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him Isaac died in an old age as well. Not at 25, not at 55, not at 65, not at 85. Like his father Abraham, Isaac died by releasing his spirit. He died at a ripe old age once he was done with life. He determined when he was done. Sickness did not determine when he was done. We've been given promises to beat sickness. I know this is a new doctrine for you guys. I I somehow caught this in college That I'm going to die in a ripe old age and release my spirit. We're American. We've been culturized. We've been discipled by the American culture. And so that honestly, the American church is not as effective as it should be. Jacob and Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this what their father said as he told his sons goodbye he blessed each one of uh, each one with an appropriate message and when jacob had made an end of commandments his son to his sons he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people jacob takes this thing one step further he doesn't just control his own death At an old age, when he's done, he gathers together all of his sons, the 12 patriarchs, and he tells them, Gather to me, I'm going home. And he prophesies over them. And he prophesies and he rebukes them. If you'll study the passage there, you'll see there's a message for each one of the 12 tribes. Over Judah, he said, The kings will come out of you and they'll never cease to. And he prophesies about Jesus Christ coming. He prophesies about Judah having teeth white as milk and eyes that are never dim but sparkle like red wine. He prophesies wonderful things. And then when he's done, he picks his feet up of his own power. The nurse doesn't have to do it for him. And he moves him over into his bed, straightens out his blanket, and gives up the ghost in total control of his death as an old man, having seen his progeny, his lineage, grow and begin to have offspring. He does it in the land of Egypt. Jacob set a new standard concerning death. Instead of simply releasing his spirit and passing on, he first gathered together all of his sons and blessed and corrected them one final time through prophecy. Then, under his own will and desire, he drew his feet up into his bed and released his spirit, causing his body to die. Now that's the way to go. Yet Moses takes it a step further because every generation should get better at this God thing. We are watching the church deteriorate. Maybe in your household, the church is deteriorating, but it shouldn't be. I've taught you for a decade, your kids should go further for Christ than you. Their marriages should look better than yours. If not, you've not discipled them. You've enjoyed Christianity yourself and let it die with you. It's not the will of God. Moses, like Jacob, Moses died, uh, uh, died, pardon the typos. Moses died after he set his house in order and blessed the 12 tribes. However, Moses' death raised the bar concerning the ideal way to pass away. Consider the following details of Moses' death. Moses knew his days were drawing near and even where he would die. And the Lord spake unto Moses that self same day, saying, Get thee up into this mountain, Abraham, and die in the mount where thou goest up and be gathered unto your people. He knew he was going to die, and God told him where he was going to die. I believe you can know the same. Pretty good thing to aim for. I'm going to die one day. It's not going to be on I-40. It's not going to be in Africa. It's not going to be in the air at 40,000 feet. I think I'm going to die in my bed or in my favorite chair with my children and my grandchildren gathered around me, having delivered my last sermon somewhere, knowing it was my last sermon. Laying hands on my kids, prophesying over them, anointing them with oil, rebuking somebody, because you can't go out without rebuking something. (laughs) And then give up the ghost. Consider the second point. Moses was able to get his house in order and bless those who would remain after him. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. So like uh, Jacob, he blessed the nation and gave him commandments before he died because he knew the day was coming and he knew he was going to pass the baton. All this tragic, unexpected death in ministries is not God. It's really a poor way to finish your race. And so many of the ministries we used to look up to, that's how it's taken place. Tragic, unexpected because we don't talk about death. Why would we talk about death? Because the Bible commands us to. Because there's a whole doctrine. We're only four lessons into eight on death. And if I can write eight lessons on death, there's a lot to be said about it. Moses had trained up his replacement. If you're a pastor, that's critical. If you're a minister, that's critical. If you're a parent, that should be your children or your child if you only have one. If you don't have any kids and you're not a minister, your dog and cat don't count. You're supposed to reproduce after yourself. At least have a disciple somewhere who can take what you've learned and go further with it after you're gone and Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands upon him that represents the discipleship the training and the replacement and the children of Israel hearkened unto Joshua as, did, uh, as they did the, the Lord's command uh, when he commanded Moses forgive the typos there they listened to Joshua just like they did to Moses because Joshua was the replacement Moses got to foresee the next move of God which foundation he had labored to build. Now, I like this. This means you're ready, you're prepared to go home, and you can see what you've worked for and how it's setting up the next generation. The Lord Jesus was able to go home that, that way. Paul could see it. He wrote his epistles, got his house in order. Peter could foresee it. Peter and Paul both said, my hour is at hand. Second Peter was Peter's last epistle. Second Timothy was Paul's last epistle. They both said, my hour is at hand. They knew when they were going to die. It wasn't, well, you don't ever know when your time is coming. That is such a redneck, poor, ignorant religious statement. Never let it come out of your mouth. It means you don't walk with God. And you're not close with Him. Because if you know when He's going to move, you know when He's going to bring you your wife, you know when He's going to transition your next stage of ministry, you're going to know when it's time to go home. If he's faithful to show you every stage as a minister, he'll show you that final promotion. Because death is a promotion if you live right. And the Lord showed Moses all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Naphtali, and uh, and the land Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar, And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with your eyes, but thou shalt not go over there. He took him to the top of that mountain, Abraham, and he took him in the spirit to see the entire promised land, though his foot would never set into it. Now you have to realize this was a vision, this was a trance, this may have been a divine transportation. But he got to see the entire promised land and to see what was the next stage of Israel's history, though he never got to partake of it. That's how you know you've died in faith and you've died right. You can see what's coming next. And your heart rejoices to know, I did my part and I've set them up for the next stage. Whether they succeed or fail, it's between them and God now. But I have done my part. And then finally, Moses died in health, not sickness. It is such an ignorant, religious statement to say, well, everybody's got to die of something. I've heard that so many stupid times. So you got to die of something. That's the argument for not believing in divine health. Well, we want to go pray for the sick. Well, so you got to die of something. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to die of something. You can die of nothing. You can die because it's just time to go home. When people say that they reveal they don't study the Bible and they don't walk with God and all they do is regurgitate the religious creeds of their denomination. Anybody ever heard that? You got to die something. Yeah. They probably chew tobacco, too. Moses died in health. He died of nothing. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. He was just as strong at 120 as he was 40 years prior and 80 years before that. And he had keen eyesight. This is the biblically ideal way to die. And why not aim for higher? Now listen, we've all had loved ones who died who did not fulfill this. They're gone though, so they don't have a problem with my preaching. They're just glad they made heaven. My papaw was the first person I knew to come close to this, because he was sick in the hospital at 85, and he did not. They didn't know what was wrong with him. His vitals were weak, but there was nothing wrong with him. He had some eczema, he had some skin stuff, but he's 85. It's old skin. But there was nothing wrong with him. His vitals were weak, and so we went down to visit him for uh, Memorial Day in 2004. And he called me to his bedside in private one day, and he wanted to talk to me to ask me if it was okay to die. And I told him, Papaw, absolutely. He said, I I was afraid it might be a sin to want to die. I said, no, Papaw. The Bible promises you long life, and you've lived 85 years. You're a World War II vet. You've raised children and grandchildren, and now you have your first great-grandchildren. And I said, and you've been faithful to God all these years. You have a right to die now. He said, I was just so afraid it was a sin to want to go home. And he said this. He said, I'm tired and I don't want to be here anymore. I said, all the Bible says you can fall asleep in Jesus and wake up in heaven. And this would explain why his vitals were weak because he was done and his body was beginning to give up. He'd worked in the garden the previous week and month. So he's a healthy man. He farmed into his 80s there in Louisiana. So I taught him how to die and that was... See, Memorial Day was Monday, and I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. He told my grandmother, she said, I'm going to go down to the restaurant and get something to eat. He said, you go ahead. I'm just going to fall asleep, and he fell asleep and went to heaven. Perfectly healthy, and I thought, man, this thing works, 85. Pastor Okoko told us of his mother. If you remember Pastor Okoko, he said he was the youngest of all the children, so he was very close to his mother. He was his mother's baby, but she was significantly older. I think she was 50, 50 years older than him. I think she was 50 when she had him. I don't remember the details. But she got to be 88, and she died. And Pastor akuoko told the Lord, he said, I miss my mother, and I need her. I need her comfort. He said, and I'm going to raise her from the dead, but you have to take care of her because I'm too busy preaching your gospel to have to care for my mother. So, Lord, if I raise her from the dead... She has to be perfect. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. This is what he told the Lord. So he prays for his mother, raises her from the dead at 88. and she's already lived a long life. And he said she came back from the dead perfectly healthy and gardened every day of her life in her own garden and lived another 20 years. But at 107, she said, this time next year, I'm going home. This day next year, I'm going home and you all gather to me and I will pray for you and he said we discounted that we didn't know what she was saying but a year later she said tomorrow I'm going home gather everyone and they gathered around her she prayed for them gave them commandments and fell asleep in her chair at 108 (laughs) that was the second time I heard of this coming to pass so I thought two witnesses in my life in a scripture why not aim for it pick when you want to die if the Lord doesn't for you And if sickness gets on you, you can say, sorry, this isn't the plan. So I just have to steamroll through this. Amen. When you know you have an expiration date, you can make the most out of your life rather than just kind of cookful drooling on yourself. You just never know. And your life amounts to nothing. Just never knowing. Living for the weekend. I don't live for the weekend. I live for Jesus. The weekend is not the best part of my life. Every day is the best part of my life. Almost done here. Here's the best way to die. Know when and where your day is approaching. Not just when, where. Where are you going to die? Know it. You can know it. It doesn't have to be the hospital room because the doctor said you have a day to live. You said it if God hasn't told you. Set your house in order. Gather your loved ones around you. When you're finished, you're racing and are ready to go. Prophesy, pray, correct, and bless those that will remain, allowing them to hear from your own mouth and not a legal reading of your last will what your blessing and instructions are i'm all for a will but let it come out of your own mouth first have your replacement ready to take over die healthy by willfully releasing your spirit real quick jesus christ when jesus therefore had received the vinegar having fulfilled all prophecies when he fulfilled the last prophecy he said it is finished What? All the prophecies. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He released his spirit. I don't want to sound blasphemous, but he gave up his life. The cross did not take it. Jesus prophesied before his crucifixion that no man had the power to take his life from him. He alone had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it back up. This prophecy is very clearly seen in how he died. He released his spirit once all necessary scriptures had been fulfilled. It was a conscious effort on his part. He died on the cross, but the cross did not kill him. He should have lived a lot longer. In fact, the Jews had a tradition. They had to take down all the corpses before sundown on the Sabbath, which is why the Romans came along with the hammer to break their legs. I've taught you this. On the cross... You die from asphyxiation. You die because your hands are higher and you cannot raise up to take another gasp of air and so your lungs slowly fill with fluid and you drown through edema or whatever. It takes sometimes weeks in Roman times. But if you break someone's legs, they can't pull up anymore. Their legs are just broken and so they will die in a matter of minutes. The Nazis proved this torturing people. They would suspend a soldier with his hands over his head and as long as he could pull up he could last for several hours if not a day or two if they tied a bag of sand to his feet he could die in five minutes just through asphyxiation your lungs fill with CO2 and you just die they had to break the malefactor's legs so they would hurry up and die before the sun went down but when they came to Jesus he was dead and he fulfilled the prophecy not one bone of his was broken He released his spirit, and his body was dead. So he was in control of his own death because he said, I lay down my life, and I have power to take it up. No man takes my life from me. Amen. Ananias, Sapphira, and King Herod. Look at these verses real quick as we wrap up. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. His body is instantly dead. And then gave up the ghost. You see the difference in order. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Then she, Sapphira, fell down straight away at his feet and yielded up the ghost. Her body dies, and then the spirit is released. So this is a reversal of everything we've seen with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Jesus. Their bodies give up, then their spirit man's released. And the young men came in, found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And now King Herod, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not... Uh, God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost worms consumed his body to death and then his spirit was released these folks were not in control of their death they were taken by the judgment of God and yet the spirit is still released these three individuals died under the judgment of God and each passage the individuals body fails first that's natural death resulting in their spirit being released into eternity It is clear these individuals were not in charge of their death. But I want you to know, saints, you are supposed to be in charge of your death. But it goes back to what we said in the first part of the teaching. You have to live righteous. You have to fulfill the scriptures that promise length of days. Don't walk in the things that promise shortness of days. Amen. Death is subjected to us. We have authority in the name of Jesus. He has conquered death and the grave. Live clean and purpose to be in charge of your own passing. And remember, you can't live wrong and die right. You cannot live wrong and die right. I'm so excited to do my next funeral. I just don't know who it's going to be. You have to purpose. It's not going to be me. I asked Dr. Barclay a few years ago, Pastor, what do you see? He said, I see the earth emptying itself. Death. Death he said, I see the earth emptying herself into eternity. That's terrifying to hear the prophet of God say, the earth is emptying herself of people. Not me, not yet. And you've got to say, not me. With long life, he satisfies me. The number of my days, he fulfills. You're all so stoic. All you have to say is, Lord, I'm going to fulfill the righteous verses, and I'm going to live a long time. Or maybe you're quiet because you know you don't. But the good news is you're in the house of God and you can repent and rededicate your heart and say, man, I'm running my race. I'm finishing my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness and not for me only, but for all those that love the Lord. Amen.